think about mediating conflicts between employees. Could you program AI to empathize with each party while remaining neutral in a way that a human may actually have trouble doing if you're trying to negotiate a conflict? You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this series. And in today's conversation, we're going to talk about AI, and specifically part two of our series. Today, we're going to talk about AI and human resources. And joining me today is Diana Scott, the center leader of the U.S. Human Capital Center at the Conference Board. Diana, welcome. Thank you, Steve. Happy to be here. Okay, so Diana, you're an expert in all of this. You've been CHRO at Guardian Life, at Prologis. You're running the center. You know, you've been in HR your whole life. You've been using HR for years. You know, we've gone through um, in in the past this whole definition phase of AI, but not everybody uses the same lingo. So let's just run through it briefly, and then we'll get into how each one of these goes into AI. So. So AI is this branch of computer science. It's the application, it's the use of the hardware. Think of it as software, um, it's beyond that. But then there's machine learning. Talk, talk about machine learning. Well, really machine learning is where you're able to make predictions or decisions by leveraging data and algorithms and you bring that all together and it will tell you where we're going. Okay, so where are we going? <laughs> we'll come back to that. We'll come back to <laughs> that. that. Resist. Then there's natural... <laughs> language processing. Talk about that. Well, that's really used to understand and interpret human language and make it contextually relevant. And you can do some predictive analytics off of that as well. Okay. Then there's autonomous AI. That implies that you're going to do tasks that were normally done by humans without human intervention okay. or any direct control. In including mistakes. Yes. Um, then you've got generative AI, and this is the one everybody's saying, oh, this is the newest, you know, this this is it, this is, but it, it is just still a slice of all the AI sites. It is, and think about the word generative, because really it's going to generate output that is going to resemble what we humans would do. Um, so things like text, images, music, computer code, designs, um, it's literally going to generate based on the inputs that you put into it. Yeah, that's pretty straightforward, but but it's not everything else. I mean, and this is where people are misusing right. the term. So exactly. And then there's sentient AI. This is the one that everybody's afraid of. Yes, because that implies that you know the machines are going to think and feel and act like human beings, and you might not even be able to tell the difference. Right. We've got enough human <laughs> beings running around doing what they're doing. Yeah, that that's. Uh, but we're not there yet, right? No, we're no. definitely not there. We and can talk about that too. Maybe, maybe not in our lifetime even. So it's going to be a while. All right, so let's let's go through now each form and then how it's been used over time in HR because HR was um, was a function that was kind of early in in the use of some of these forms, specifically machine learning. Absolutely, I mean, think about um, probably the most popular use of this was sifting through resumes. Many companies, especially large companies, the talent acquisition function gets thousands, tens of thousands of resumes, and they need to identify good candidates and match them to the roles. Um, they need to be able to assess the candidates based on their skills or past experience, and machine learning can help them do that and do it very, very quickly. 
But there are other applications for it as well. So for example, um, we're now starting to use machine learning to identify skill gaps and skill adjacencies. So it allows companies to identify and actually predict where some of these skills are going to be needed and which related skills might actually enable somebody to fill that gap. So that's a matching process that again, can be done much quicker than if we have to do it um, you know, just with human beings. Um, you know, There's some other applications that are pretty exciting. Some of the machine learning models are learning to assess the likelihood of employee turnover and predict which workers are at risk of leaving their jobs. And then you know, in the learning space, things like course recommendations that will enable people to learn new skills. Machine learning can you know, help organizations provide very personal recommendations um, of what people should do and what, what courses they should be taking that are gonna fit an organization's skill needs and match that to the individual's interests and goals. So it's a pretty exciting space and there's a lot that can be done. Yeah, and HR functions and you specifically have been using machine learning for a very long time because it's it, you know, it, it's the ability to, I mean, just think of it as advanced software that can crawl all, you know, big data sets and, you know, get through it. Exactly. Pick stuff out and, and save a boatload of time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think of your example about sifting through resumes. I mean, ah, that used to take days to go, you know, you'd, you'd put, post a job and you'd get all this stuff and most of the resumes were just not applicable. They don't have the right skills or the right education. And that's what you're talking about. It's just, it's just getting down to a set that exactly. fit the parameters. And what's interesting is, you know, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. I mean, one of the promises of something like that is you could remove some of the bias that a human being would bring to that process. Now, on the flip side, you could actually introduce bias. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, there are problems with it. Okay. So that's that's machine learning. And that's probably the, the oldest form of AI that's been used in HR. But Natural language processing also has been very active in HR. Yes, so natural language processing. Um, think about uh, doing some sentiment analysis. So if you analyze all the open-ended answers to engagement surveys or any kind of communication on an internal platform, you could analyze that and actually gauge what the morale is coming out of that. So that sentiment of, of your employees Natural language processing can, can do that. Um, you can also input that into a nat natural language. You can uh, put job postings into natural languaging processing and really assess whether uh, the job postings are using biased language. So, so it's kind of taking it one step further. You're not just like putting gobs of data in like you do in machine learning and sifting through it. You're actually saying, okay, tell me, is there a pattern here that you see that could either be dangerous or positive? Or, you know, or, or interpreted. I mean, interpreted, yeah. yeah. So there's there's an interpretive possibility in natural language processing that you can actually program into it. You know, one, one example that you know, you've talked about in the past, which I really like, is you do these engagement surveys within companies. And you, know, you have thousands of people replying, and they always write in the comments. And you don't want to disregard the comments, but it's, it's really hard to distill all that. And natural language processing allows the ability to go in pick out those words, and then create some sort of interpretation of sentiment from that. Exactly, and that's exactly what we're talking about. The interesting thing is, you know, we'll get to generative AI. There's an aspect of generative AI that can also be employed for that particular process. So I think what we'll see is 
all these different types of AI are beginning to come together and you use many, you know, possibly two or three of them to actually create an outcome that works for you and, and potentially reduces the amount of human interaction that you need and saves time and increases productivity. Yeah, which is what autonomous AI is, which is performing tasks without human intervention. How, how is uh, autonomous AI been used? Well, I think autonomous AI, te technically you could remove, in many cases, you could remove the human from the process. The question is, do you really want to remove all human yeah. intervention from those processes? So I like to think about it on a, on a spectrum. I mean, we have a lot of assisted AI, which mm -hmm. is really what machine learning, et cetera, comes mm -hmm. to. We have augmented AI, and then autonomous implies that the person, the human being is taken out of it. So an example that I would say is, you know, in the talent acquisition process, you could use machine learning to actually select like the 10 best candidates, but then you would have a human being going in and actually intervening and saying, did they evaluate it correctly? But if you decided to remove the human being from the process, you could just automatically say, well, these are the 10 best candidates and let's just move them through the process. Um, I'm not sure that you would want to do that because in that scenario, the platform could rank, it could communicate with, it could actually conduct the interviews and it could negotiate with the candidates and completely remove the human from the process. There's a danger to that, there's you a downside. I can just think of one or two. Um, well, so basically it, it's it's using, uh, it, autonomous AI uses machine learning or natural language processing. Exactly. To just, to just routinize and, and automate something. So so it's a it's a tool on which the other ones are built. Okay, so then you get to everybody's favorite subject today, which is generative AI. And I just keep pointing out to our listeners that this is being misused uh, all over because everybody's going, well, generative AI has taken over all other forms of AI. Well, no, it hasn't because it's, uh, it's the AI, as you said, focus on the word generative. It generates content, essentially. Right. So it, it right. writes something, it creates something, um, music, text, um, you know, that kind of stuff. But that that is a big addition to the HR toolbox. It is huge. Um, and I think this is a really exciting area for HR in terms of how do you appropriately apply generative AI along with machine learning and natural language processing to complete some of the tasks and potentially you know, remove some of the more um, onerous tasks that typically HR people have had to do. So the biggest example that I, you know, that I think everybody is really focused on, the most simple example is really drafting role descriptions, so job descriptions, which become the job postings. And creating that final draft is going to require some involvement from a thinking human being who can apply some judgment to it. But generative AI can take a database of hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of job descriptions. You can ask it to write a job description for this job with you know this particular skill set needed and it can produce a really excellent first draft. Yeah, it's which is scary to me because <laughs> if you use every buzzword that HR people use and you put plug that into generative AI, I mean, well, you could come up with something that's really scary. Well, and we'll get to that, but I think there's some big downsides in terms of, yes, the, the jargon for HR could be ripe <laughs> I mean, it, it, in these it, scenarios. It, I mean, it could get to the point where nobody understands what we're talking about. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and then, you know, Sandy and AI, we're not there yet, so we're not really going to talk about that. I will say, though, that uh, there was a, a survey done on, or an analysis done on what jobs, and, and I, your center uh, did a paper on this, on what jobs could uh, Sandy and AI could replace 
And, uh, you know, the one that particularly caught my attention was the CEO job and, you know, that AI Excellent. could replace the CEOs, which, um, you know, <clears throat> we, we choose not to talk about because. Well, I, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, true, truly sentient AI does not exist yet. It's probably not going to come for a long time. But I think that as the technologies advance, many AI systems are going to be able to approximate human abilities more and more closely. So. I'm going to speculate what could possibly sentient AI, but what would the application be in the future, some you know very distant future? Think about mediating conflicts between employees. Could you program AI to empathize with each party while remaining neutral in a way that a human may actually have trouble doing if you're trying to negotiate a conflict? So conflict resolution could be an interesting role for sentient AI sometime way in the future. Interviewing too. Well, we already are letting chatbots and do some inter initial interviews and screening. Yeah. Which I'm not sure I would speaks that. a little bit to the, you know, employment brand. <laughs> well, it, it does that. You know, can you imagine uh, you know, someone sensing humor with a chatbot and uh trying to get through that. Well, you know, look, I think there's, you know, there's a lot here. We're going to take a short break. And uh, but afterwards, we're going to come back and we we'll talk about uh, some of the watchouts uh, by using AI in HR. Be right back. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the conference board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. Membership at the Conference Board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a Conference Board member today by visiting www.conference-board.com. Org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Diana Scott, the center leader of the U.S. Human Capital Center. Okay, so watch outs. I mean, there's just there's just so many things that could go wrong when you're using this. Oh, yeah. So I think there are two major watch outs, and then I can dive into them a little bit. The first one is assuming that AI's output is correct. You mean everything ChatGPT says is not true? That might be a very dangerous assumption. Um, and then I believe, and this gets to our earlier conversation about you know augmented versus autonomous AI, I think not keeping a human in the loop is a big watch out. And we can talk some more about that. Um, I mean, AI can make recommendations and create content, but there are often lots of flaws with their outputs. Um, some of it is, a, you know, can be bad data because AI is only as smart as the data, the data garbage sets that we, out. yeah, garbage in, garbage out. Um, and then we've all heard about hallucinations. Yeah, what's Gen with that? Well, um, generative AI has been known to just make up content that is not accurate. Now, is this just the generative AI from California or? 
Maybe uh, south of the border. I don't I, know. I don't know where yeah, it comes from. Yeah. Maybe a few more New Yorkers too. I think we might be subject to that as well. I think the AI things. Yeah, it's uh, there's yeah. I think I think this is the the interesting thing because um, you know ChatGPT four is better than ChatGPT three on this thing, but there's there's there are mistakes made. I mean, they're, they're factual mistakes because it's interpreting stuff and then coming out and presenting it in a way that doesn't resemble reality. I I think that it gets confused. I think if it has too much, because think about it, it's crawling through all the information that's out there. If you ask it a question and there are too many conflicting viewpoints out there, it doesn't have the ability to sift through it and say, what is important? What is not accurate? It can't do that. It kind of, everything is equal. Well, and, and if you ask about a person, you know, your name is Diana Scott. Well, that's Probably there's probably one or two other people named Diana Scott. So there are many, because I've Googled myself. And so, which <laughs> person are they talking about? Exactly. And so then you know you go through an employment report and you know you look for something a background check and you, it's all it's all done by AI and it's the wrong one or it's pieces of everything and you find out that you know you haven't really exactly. Hired a and we've heard about some of the disasters with facial recognition um, that have you know really turned people's lives upside down um, and and they, and they can't fix it. Yes, exactly. So you know it's it, it can be very dangerous. So I think you know assuming that it's correct is probably the biggest watch out. But also the flip side of that is assuming that you don't have to keep a human in the loop because you do. Yeah. So it really becomes a tool. Yes. For human, a productivity tool is a way to think about it that, that allows HR people to stop doing routinized stuff and do higher order. That pass. is absolutely right. And and if you think about HR, many of HR's areas are super highly sensitive. So performance management decisions. Um, I did a webcast with um, uh, Keith Sunderland, who heads up the EEOC, and he talked about, you know, Ind individuals and companies are going to continue to be responsible for these decisions, whether a machine makes it for them or the human beings in their organization make the decisions. So you you have to understand, he said, the rules still apply. So you have to check your work just like you would if a human being was doing it. Well, this is a really interesting point because if you get sued and a human being hasn't been involved, who's liable? Is it the company? Is it the chat GPT? Well, we had a very interesting conversation about that. And there's some, I mean, there, there are many, organ, you know, there are many states now. There's no federal rulings yet, but there's states that are beginning to weigh in on this. And in Europe, they're saying that the vendors are actually responsible as well for the output. Um, if it is um, resulting in discriminatory uh, decisions or behaviors in an uh, organization. You use the D word, um, uh -huh. discrimination. <laughs> and that, that's, a big, that's a big worry. Yes, it's a it's a huge worry, which is why you have to keep the humans involved. Well, so, in so give some examples about how AI can be discriminatory. Number one, you think about uh, the the actual AI can be very discriminatory because it's only as good as the historical information in it. So, for example, if if you ask AI to um, create characteristics of a successful software engineer, for example it will program in potentially the biases that have been you know, 
engaged in and involved in the hiring of software engineers and the profiles of software engineers and stereotypes. forever and the stereotypes of software Which engineers. Which is funny on Saturday past. Night Live, but it's really not funny. In, in no, the it's not at all. So you think about, you know, if if typically AI will go out and, you know, a generative AI will say, well, software engineers typically are male, they're white, um, they have these characteristics. Then if you ask the software to help you, the AI to help you in actually recruiting these individuals, you're going to get, oh, the person who is perceived to be male and white are going to be the candidates that are most qualified for this job. So that kind of built-in bias. And you're still liable for that. And you are liable for it. And and forget the legal thing. It it doesn't give you the outcome that you want. You're not building the kind of diverse workforce that you exactly. need to deal exactly. with customers and communities and all of that. So, it's, so there's a lot of stuff here. Now, what about the regulations? Are there... Um, are you seeing, uh, you, you talked about state regulatory. Uh, yes, so, um, well, federal government hasn't really weighed in. There is no comp, you know, sort of comprehensive regulatory framework there. But several states and cities have taken the lead and they're enacting laws or initiating some sort of regulate, regulatory efforts. Um, and, and I think because uh, the regulators recognize that HR is an early adopter of AI, and they view the HR activities as probably the riskiest when it comes to, you know, discrimination possibilities or other things like that. That's probably why they're focusing a lot on HR activities. So, for example, um, New York City has something that they just recently implemented. It um, it's called the Automated Employment Decision Tool Law, and that mandates that employers disclose their use of AI in hiring to candidates. Um, and they also have to undergo annual audits so that they they ensure that their AI tools are free from bias and discrimination. You know, if you go across the pond, uh, the EU is uh, expected approve to approve a risk-based regulatory framework for AI by the end of the year. And so that um, that framework looks at AI and employment and HR procedures as particularly risky. So if they actually enact this, it's going to require the disclosure of AI use, it's going to require testing, and this is the big part, it's going to require consent from job candidates that they acknowledge and consent that AI is being used in the in the hiring and vetting process. And the thing that is very different than, than what's happening in the U.S., in the EU, AI vendors are actually going to be liable for activities that are carried out with their products. And I think that has, you know, these AI vendors taking pause. And so they're thinking carefully about how do I make sure that my my use, my 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 AI systems are actually being used responsibly because yeah, I'm going to be liable. But it's like everything else, I guess, you know, um, you know, we've lived through all these phases. It's the unintended consequences of yes. these things. And, yep. and you, you, just, you just simply when you're trying to program or routinize something, um, you're making something autonomous, you, you really are not able to to get every unintended consequence, are you? No, you you aren't. And I think um, it's it's also as the technology evolves, things change, and then you have to reevaluate. So we've had many people that have said, you know, A is AI is not a one and done. As it changes, we have to adapt to it, and we have to change, and we have to pay attention and figure out 
What are the proper uses? There's a lot of good that can happen. We can increase productivity, we can streamline, we can make jobs more interesting for people and take all those routinized activities off of their plates, get them to do more interesting things. But there's a real risk involved and you have to be very, very smart about it and think about it carefully. Well, you know, I, I was thinking also about you know this regulation of, of posting, job postings where you have to put the salary range in there. So, yes. you know, some companies are putting like zero to a million dollars a year. Well, that's silly, but, you know, these ranges, you know, that that's just a silly range, but but these ranges are are real and it's not helping usually the most junior candidate. And, and it's, and so if you start routinizing all of this, you could really hurt the up and comers because if, if you say a job is worth somewhere between a hundred and $150,000 for a senior position, you might be willing to pay somebody with, you know, 25 years of experience, you know, 150,000, but you may also be willing to put somebody with five years of experience in the role and not pay them 150, pay them something less than that, but give them a shot at it. Yes. And, and people would be willing to do that. So it kind of takes the marketplace out. And this is, you know, so when you start programming all of these decisions, it's all of these kind of unintended things. But it seems like the people, it seems like the, the more junior people who are who become outliers on the bell curve will potentially be the ones that are hurt. It could be, but also in, in some ways, access to information also gives them additional power. So they can say, hey, wait a minute, you know, you said the range was this, you can't offer me less than that. Because in, in many cases, companies were even offering less. And so the pay disparity for the same job performed, uh, especially gender gap pay disparity, um, was rampant. And so I think they're, they're like everything. There's a positive and there's a potential downside. Um, another, another role of HR in most companies Yes is as it relates to AI is is not only to use it, but it's also to write the policies that dictate how it's used within a company and to govern those the usage within a company. Talk about that. Well, um, I think given given everything that's happening, the HR departments have an opportunity to really drive the process. Because if you think about AI, I mean, at the core, it is a people issue because it's a, it's a technology that is going to augment workers' capabilities and efficiency. So you have to go in, evaluate, you have to understand what new skills are going to be required. You're going to have to understand where you're going to, how you're going to develop those skills in your current workforce or get them from the outside. You're gonna to have to think about what do you do with the employees who um, aren't able to make the grade and are there ways for you to redirect them across the organization? All of those activities, it's really strategic workforce planning, which is what HR has an opportunity to drive in an organization. So I think the impact of a, a, AI is a great opportunity for CHROs to actually step up and drive the process. But it, it, it requires then, I mean, if, if, if a CHRO is going to govern the use of AI, it means that the CHRO really needs to understand the business. Absolutely. Not just her function. And, Absolutely. And you know, understand all the applications of that, all the risks and so forth. It really requires a higher level of, of HR people. I think that you're seeing that the upskilling and reskilling of the HR department is, is really, really important right now. And it's happening across the board. 
That's where you see many uh, leaders of HR coming out of the business. Uh, many leaders of HR who have you know prior business experience, they have MBAs, they have a, a much more enterprise view of the organization and you need to have, you know, you have to have financial acumen, you have to have operational acumen because you're going to be in there directing all of that. And then you need to make sure your own staff is upskilled. So yes, I agree. HR departments are going to need to um, upskill themselves in order to be able to effectively drive some of this change. It's a huge change management lift across an organization to figure out how to evolve and incorporate these new technologies. And it's been happening across the board. I mean, AI is the new darling of technology, but think about all the automation and other technologies you know, that we've been implementing over the past 40, 50 years in an organization. Um, yeah, and it sounds like it's it's a subject for a whole different podcast, but you know, it 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 does require that people think about recruiting HR people from within business operations and vice versa. That that yes. there is this this cross functional these cross functional experiences, because it's not just about compliance. It's not just about you know the you know the narrow descriptions of what the old personnel department is. And, and so as businesses yep. become more complex and the use of these technologies become more plot complex, then the skill set, as you say, the skill set needs are, are changing in HR. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Diana Scott, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover leading topics in economics, public policy, human capital, and more. Please share CEO perspectives with your colleagues, with your friends, with your chatbots, with your favorite HR person. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by The Conference. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by The Conference Board.